Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Spider pig, spider pig, does whatever a spider pig does. Can he swing from a web? No, he can't. He's a pig. Look out, he is a spider pig. Happy 
Happy holidays, everyone, and welcome to the film board from The Next Reel on Rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies, and tonight we're breaking with a few traditions here on the film board. It's not a Star Wars movie. I know, I know, it's been a number of Decembers, but this year we've been given a bit more freedom from our creative overlords at Disney. Tonight we're talking Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, and this one is only made in association with Marvel. It is also the first time we've tackled an animated film on the film board, and this one is a doozy. My name is Peter Parker. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. I saved the city, fell in love, then I saved the city again, and again, and again. Look, I'm a comic book, a serial, I did a Christmas album, and a so-so popsicle. But this isn't about me. Not anymore. Six different spider things being thrown at us in new and inventive stories for the screen. Tell me what kind of unique spider thing you'd most likely be. Andy Nelson. I probably would, would be really good at uh, scaring children and uh, and other people. The first one. Yep. Very nice. I'm really good at parties. <laughs> Hello, Tommy Hanson. What's your spider thing? Um... I think I'd probably be like spider creep because I'm already kind of, I'm naturally sticky. <laughs> uh, can we get like something more heroic? Steve Sarmento, hello. All right, people, let's start at the beginning. My name is Steve Sarmento, and seven years ago, I started listening to a podcast hosted by these guys, Pete and Andy. I started commenting and giving Pete a really hard time about some of his opinions, and then this weird thing happened. I mean, like, really, really weird. They asked me to be part of the team, and that's how I ended up on the Spider Film Board. Wow. <laughs> that's an origin story for the, for the ages there. How about you, Pete Wright? Spider stuff. All right, everybody. I'm Steve Sarmento. <laughs> Wait, what? Did I do that wrong? I thought we were all doing... Okay. Never mind. <laughs> Steve does have the only hero superhero name of all of us. He does. With the double That's S. That's true, because he has That's the right. S. That's true. Yeah. That's right. Like Brightburn. Well, I'm JJ. Oh, you're JJ. Oh, I'm JJ. That's right. And my spidey sense tells me that my own spiderness would be a lot more like something from Miss Spider's Sunny Patch Friends. Yeah. Oh, no. no. Yes. They can jump really far and fly. And that's just a throwback for all the parents of Noggin or Treehouse TV kiddos. I was one of those. Whether you're with me on that one or not, you should go check out all the details about this show and The Next Reel's extended family of podcasts at thenextreel.com. There you can join our fun community of film fanatics. So go dig deep into our dirt because we want to continue the conversation with you. All right. I am so excited to talk about this one with you guys. New style of movie for us here, y'all. How did you like it? Pete. Go, you guys. I'm so glad we did this movie. I love this movie. Me too. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I adored it. Uh, I loved the weird Looney Tune physics on just one character. I loved the the style. I loved the the weird way that it's kind of a 3D movie without your glasses. Like, what did that look like if you saw it in 3D? It's very strange. Uh, I love these characters. I love the script. Uh, the only thing I, I wasn't so keen on was just the development of some of the villainry, but uh, overall, I left this movie uh, just jazzed, and I can't wait to see what comes next. Woohoo! We are off to a great start, and great for it being animated for us that way, too. How about you, Steve? What did you think? Yeah, a really good movie gives you exactly what you want, but in a new way, and this just nailed it for me. And I love seeing an animated movie that's going to embrace the the freedom and liberation that animation just allows you to do crazy bonkers things. I think so often we've just gotten you know tied down with 
animated movies that are, well, it's animated, but it still takes place in a real world with real physics. And here we've got just all kinds of bonkers animated things going on. And I thought, yes, embrace the lunacy of what animation can let you do and run with it. And this movie did it in so many ways. I just, it again, I had such a great time. I am so glad we picked this movie this month. Me too. And, I, and it sounds like we're getting some consensus. Is there going to be any watering down? Tommy Handsome. <laughs> that was always my nickname growing up. <laughs> Old watering down. Watering down. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm not a superhero guy and I'm actually not much of right. a animation guy, unfortunately. Uh, but this movie, I was once I got used to it, which took a, just a little bit of time. I was absolutely blown away by its humor and its heart and by its visuals. I really loved this movie. I loved it, loved it, okay. loved it. So I'm a part of the consensus. You're welcome. What a massive relief. Loving it. Andy Nelson, what do you think? This uh, was a Spider-Man movie I wasn't expecting to see, and I was uh, incredibly thrilled by it, uh, most notably because it had a new Spider-Man character, a bunch of new Spider-Man characters for us, but our main protagonist of the film is a Spider-Man who may now possibly be my favorite iteration of any Spider-Man. Um, I oh, just loved nice. Miles Morales. I loved his story. Um, this was a big win for me. I'm so glad. And, you know, this is really interesting for me because I think usually when we end up talking about the comic book movies, I kind of get into the fanboy category a little bit. There's a lot of somewhat this sort of things can't do things wrong for me because I like comic books so much. But I wasn't going to see this movie. I had fatigue. I, I didn't really mm. want to do more. I was I was locked into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was thinking, OK, I just want to follow this plot line that they're leading me to out. And then, you know, maybe I'll break for a little bit unless I really want to see something. Thing. I wasn't going to see this movie and then we selected it for this and wow it knocked my socks off Your I socks? think uh, yeah <laughs> JJ, you go? you're going to get no, cold <laughs> I, I think this no, I have a lot of weird sort of hyperbole superlatives to say about this movie I think this might be one of my favorite animated movies of all time mm -hmm. because of the innovations they do visually in the movie and I think it might be my favorite movie of the year right now wow. I, I say cheer wow. myself a little bit about that i i was it, i had every emotion in this movie i was completely bought in i didn't expect everyone to love it as much as me but i'm thinking it's going to be the best movie for the whole christmas season and i'm i i mean i'm gonna be too much of a pollyanna about this movie this was so great i laughed out loud consistently yeah. it was it was way better than I thought it was going to be. And it wasn't that I just had a low expectation. This movie steps out and breaks so many things that you're expecting when you're going Agreed. to. And that's the thing I want to stress most is that whatever you think about comic book movies or whatever you think about animated movies, this is something new and it's something special. And it really, really, uh, it really, really hit that for me. I, to start our conversation, I want to talk about that thing that you brought up, uh, Pete, the, 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 the 3D looking thing at the beginning. I probably lasted a good 20 to 25 minutes looking around the theater inside, checking to see if other people had glasses on and just yeah. forgot to get them. Yeah. Did anybody else have that? Pete, is that what you were experiencing? Or did well, anyone else freak yeah, out a little bit at that? I totally wonder that because I saw the movie in 2D. And so I... I did too. And so, uh, naturally. And so I, I feel like uh, it is... <laughs> 
this can't have resolved in the 3D movie. How did no, they possibly right. do 3D? Isn't it like putting a hat on a hat visually? Like, how does that even work? <laughs> You'd think. Oh, yeah. I, about 15 minutes in, I thought, do I need to go? <laughs> it was playing in 3D only at like one time. And I thought, oh, did somebody load the wrong file? Do I need to go like get a manager and say, hey, I think you're playing the wrong version of the movie because I think I should be having 3D glasses on this image. What's going on? And then I realized, oh, no, this it's. The whole image would be totally screwy if it was right. the wrong thing, but it, yeah. it did it did mess with me uh, a lot more, and so I'm looking forward to seeing it again because it it kept me from being really immersed because it slightly distracted me because I thought there was something wrong with the projection. So now I'm looking forward to going back and just going with it and not letting my analytical side be you know distracted it's, by, by it's an amazing it makes me wonder if we actually brought like red blue 3d glasses to this movie <laughs> if we would see a completely different movie it's yeah. such an amazing look and i mean that's I, that's what they were going for i know lord and miller yeah they they had said they wanted it to feel like you stepped inside a comic book and it had kind of those oh, those yeah. little dots uh those I oh don't yeah know what they call them, like the, the kirby dots or whatever um yes. to make it really feel like that kind of the way it was printed and and just the way that the different colors sometimes didn't line up i think that that's what gave it that funky semi 3d look that uh, that we're all talking about um it, it's such the rgb wasn't together. right exactly like, like the, it yeah. wasn't the rgb was separated slightly exactly at times. Yeah. well it wasn't even just that there were sometimes things in the background or some things in the foreground the image looked like it was like blurred like shifted like there were two versions on purpose um, yeah. but, and i know yeah. it was on purpose but it seemed to be things always like extreme foreground or like way in the background i thought oh if i had 3d glasses would that that's supposed to be like really recessed yeah. in the in the background. Right, right. So yeah, there was the red blue, and I thought, okay, that's a style. At first, I thought that was the 3D, and I said, no, 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 they don't do that type of 3D anymore. It's the other kind, and I just forgot that they are just messing around so much visually. Um, my in-laws asked, you know, what movie they should go see because they they had heard about this and then Green Book, and I I I was torn. I recommended Green Book for them because I think they would enjoy it because I think this one could just be really overstimulating and overwhelming uh, for people that aren't expecting this type of uh, movie. I remember when, uh, what was it like CNN, when they introduced like their ticker and like an older generation was like, there's too much information on the screen. It's really distracting. And I can see that I think being an issue for some people because there is so much uh, movement and information thrown at, thrown at you that I think Number one, it's going to be rewarding on multiple viewings to see everything that's going on. But it, I could also see where it could be a little uh, disorienting or overwhelming for some people. There were times when it was very much overwhelming for me. Yeah. Uh, a certain sequences where I was like, OK, like I almost felt like I needed to look away. It was a little too tough. Sure. And whenever they did the fake blurring of someone in the foreground, that's when it really did that RGB thing. Yeah. I found that just really difficult to look at. So I just had to look at something else. That being said, it started off in the very beginning with that because it's kind of jerky, too, at times, especially in the beginning. I was like, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> like this, this film is not for me. I already know <laughs> the only thing I'm going to be able to say on the podcast. But then I really leaned into it of like, no, this is the aesthetic. Just give it a chance. And then for me, it ended up being uh, brilliant and working really well. But, yeah, it's going to be it's a very brave decision. It, it is to make a yeah. film like this. Yeah, because this could have been just people being like, what? No, <laughs> 
This is an animation. This is something weird. What reconciled it for me was accepting that it was an homage to comic books and to the actual books. And I will say that, uh, you know, in even in the live action movies that have been coming out for so many years now, some of my favorite stuff is where they tried to create frames from actual books. And so the fact that they did that here and then actually got to a place where they were they were breaking the fourth wall with the way that the homage was working in terms of the comic books in giving us thought bubbles and giving Miles, right. the, the character Miles actually questioning why it was there. I, I was thinking maybe this is going to be some aspect of his power or whatnot, but it's actually something about the vehicle of how they're delivering the story to us. I think that's there. This is a beautiful homage to what it's like to read a comic book and then put it on the screen. And I really love that too. That something that's uh, also something that is, very present in a lot of the comic books is this concept of the multiverse. And we talk about being overstimulated with the visuals. Uh, something that I was really nervous about this movie was trying to get through a convoluted story about how multiple universes come together. We are here now because of all the years of comic book movies. How do you like multiple spider Man's multiple spider things showing up and using this sort of quantum physics theory to explain it. This is going to happen more and more because it's part of the natural comic book soap opera. This is where we are now. Did it bother you that all of a sudden we're explaining the what if there are six different spider things that we need to check into? Or potentially more because, I mean, Marvel has a great number of universes in all of their different comics. And so this is, uh, you know, I don't know if it's the first time that we've seen it in in their films. I think maybe some of the animated films might have dabbled in it. But I think it's I sure. think it's a really interesting element to kind of throw in. And, uh, you know, I mean, they're going to have to at some point and why not start here and 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 use it in such great effect where we get to see such an interesting variety of spider characters that uh, gives us a lot of fun and just a lot of uh, variety that made for, I thought, just an absolutely exciting way to tell this story. Uh, which uh, largely is about a villain who is uh, upset with something that happened in his own universe and is trying to, you know, get his wife and and son back um, from a different universe. And I, I thought that was such an interesting way to kind of kind of create this story and and allow for this this huge expansion. Um, I loved it. And as an outsider, I agree with Andy completely. And as an outsider, meaning I have not, I didn't grow up reading superheroes. I only read horror comics like a weirdo. Uh, but explains a lot. The answer, the <laughs> so sticky. The answer to your question that I can give JJ is, uh, I loved it. I was fine with it because I thought the economy of story was so brilliantly sure. done. That they yeah. were just they hit yeah. the parts that needed to be hit pretty hard, but then really backed off of it. And then as it went on, they didn't keep reacting to every single little thing. The entire backstory of uh, Kingpin was just done in like a slideshow. I was pretty right. OK. It, it never gave me the time and in a way I don't think I even needed to stop and go, wait, is this too much? Is this too weird? Because I was too busy enjoying the ride. I thought it, and I thought it was going to be terrible. So the fact that they found that economy and they found an artful way to tell us this really difficult story and then with a really complicated visual representation, I think it's brilliant. I think this is a really special movie because of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's another thing to tie in here that, that, uh, the DC television universe 
has oh, yeah. has been has gone heavy into multiple Earths, right? DC has been fleshing that out for three, four years between Arrow and Supergirl, and oh, really? And, um, Flash, yeah, and Flash, Flash. Uh, and uh, the DC Legends of Tomorrow, and DC Legends of Tomorrow. Their entire premise is jumping through time and through portals, and it's just that's oh, their whole thing. Okay. So, and and they do these epic crossovers, like multiple like four week crossover, four night crossovers. These massive four hour things where they're they're all the characters on all the shows for a week straight and they're all jumping through all of these earths uh and i think they're in the middle of one right now where they all switch powers they do they switch powers and arrow is the flash and yeah it's it's a crazy thing yeah it's and it's great it's super fun it's exactly the kind of experience you want out of you know comic book tv shows i think it's just really frivolous and and it's super fan friendly and um and so i wonder actually i found myself thinking i wonder how much of the table is set right now that we're in this this period where everybody's going to be exploring multiple universes in their own unique way you know we're just kind of following the creative juices and um now we get to see it in uh, get this the spider-verse out i think it's really exciting that does make me nervous because in the right hands it's almost kind of like with great power comes great responsibility um a lot of uh too much universe craziness in the wrong hands can just become numbing and terrible so i hope that well that's what i kind of wondered right because this is not part of the marvel cinematic universe so does this but i talked about in the intro i said it's in association with marvel we saw the marvel intro screen i got super excited to see sony and marvel working together this way it could this be a little bit of sugar to a to you know a very light way a very interesting and fun way to talk to us about a multiverse concept and then we're walking into this potentially very difficult ex- to explain resolution in Avengers 4 with what happens for the Infinity Gauntlet i mean why does Into the Spider-Verse come out now? What what are they showing us? We're going to have Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel come out and she's going to be going all through time and different things, too. I mean, oh, she is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it takes place in the 90s. So spoilers. Right. So maybe they're trying to set us up to say we can do this and we can do this in a way that you're going to like it. Mm, well, with with great success comes great responsibility. And I think that <laughs> there what, you go. What, what they're doing, I think what they the way they handled this was really intelligent because they know Spider-Man. It's like folklore. Everybody knows the origin. And so we we got for each of them. I mean, what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man? I get bit by a by a spider. I got some special powers and I lost somebody close to me. And we, we see that for, you know, many of these that are introduced. We see, you know, what their origin is or a condensed version because we don't need the whole thing. And, and even the Uncle Ben's line becomes sort of a punchline because somebody starts to say it and Peter was like, no, don't even finish that. Don't say, don't say, don't it say that. Yeah, yeah. We, we all know this. And they've leveraged that and it allows them to get into that economy. Uh, but it was, it, they leveraged it well for Miles' story because he has to experience his loss. And they all know that because they've been through that. Um, what I've read is what they're doing is there's a planned sequel to this one, but they're also planning the spinoff of Spider Gwen. So oh, they're, 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 they're planning a, her own separate film with her and uh, Jessica Drew. And yes. it's all the, and Penny Parker, all of yes. this, all of the spider women, women, the spider right. women. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. So I, I don't, I could see where you're saying, I think they're sort of, I mean, the audience for 
get ready for some messy, you know, head scratching stuff that we may bring at you. But for me, people that are fans of comic books, they they love this stuff. And for me, it was it was great fan service to to put all these in there. But the story was handled so intelligently to treat the audience with respect and say, we know, you know, these things. And I think a little bit, they leveraged the Deadpool with, as, as we heard at the beginning, you know, the first Peter Parker talks about, you know, very self-aware of the merchandise, the, the really, you know, bad looking popsicle to me, that's, (laughs) that's that Deadpool piece of, we can be self-aware and we can make fun of ourselves and what we've done as a corporation in the past with the Spider-Man Christmas album and all of those things. Um, <laughs> that, 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 they have that freedom to me in this animated version to do those types of things to to poke fun at themselves a little bit, uh, and I think they just balanced it really well. Well, and I think I, I'm glad you brought up Deadpool because I think the 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 feeling that I got in looking at this movie is that Marvel's Marvel has these great properties and they're making tons of money in it, and and the Spider Man franchise as a whole has been through some weird iterations. I know, I mean, I I was never a particular Tobey Maguire fan just because it wasn't the right cast for me for the original Spider Man. I know Pete, you really liked the Andrew Garfield stuff, and I know, I mean, and in general, I think people are pretty happy with Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. But something oh, that's yeah. interesting Tom is the one, yeah. Right. But something that's interesting with the Deadpool thing is that we need to give a a little stage back to Spider-Man. And part of this felt like Marvel saying, let's make Spider-Man great again. This is our guy that we're going to make a a big deal. And and Spider-Man has all these different ways you can go with it. Well, and I think by choosing my by choosing Miles Morales, I mean, to, you're going to I mean, to me, this is very much 21st century. Let's have and, and Spider Gwen. It's like you look at, you know, the history of superheroes and it's, you know, white dudes. And so to now get into multicultural and different gender, you know, this is realizing that our audience spans the globe and different people are interested in Spider-Man. He is an international phenomenon. We need to make a story that is going to be representative and it's going to be appealing to this international and global audience. And I think they handled that really well in this version is because we didn't get Toby Maguire yeah. and Andrew Garfield. We got Miles Morales. So there's an entire generation of you know kids that, and identify with this Spider-Man that couldn't identify with the previous Spider-Man. And uh, Kevin Smith has a, a little video on Wired where he talks about, you know, uh, the different versions of Spider-Man in TV and film. But he talks about Stanley uh, with Spider-Man when he's got his costume on. He could be anybody. Anybody could be Spider-Man, regardless of, of race or gender, because you don't see their face. Whereas with Spider, you know, with Superman, you know, huh. you see his face, you know, it's a white guy, but Spider-Man could be anybody. And he becomes that universal here where anybody could put on the mask and be oh, a hero. That's what all that was about. Cool. Yes. I like that. Yeah. And that's why that's why this Stan Lee cameo is so wonderful just after his death. Right. His lines. I'm really going to miss him. I mean how like how wonderful is that and then for him to say uh it eventually always fits i mean just that concept they're really diving into the spider-man character and saying this is what the origin of marvel was Mm -hmm. about and giving it back to everyone you know i know that this is something that you guys really liked was it last year when we did the last jedi um the concept of giving the force to everyone Mm -hmm. that's what marvel's doing here 
It's saying everybody can be a superhero. I just thought that was really, really Well, and it's doing with a character. I mean, Spider-Man is their most popular character, or at least it, it, it had been for a huge portion of Marvel's life. Yeah. Historically. And, yeah. and it, uh, it's giving uh, a different voice to it in a way that I think is wholly unique. And it allows for that expansion of the, of the mythos of Spider-Man to really become that idea that it can be anyone. And I think that it it does. And I think that's another reason why the multiverse actually ends up working so well, uh, because it allows for uh, it really does allow for anybody to be Spider-Man because you could have any universe where, you know, one of us is Spider-Man. I mean, it's a really interesting way that they have developed that. And I, uh, yeah, I just I'm I'm thrilled with the way that they played with um introducing miles morales as the character because i think that it's a it's a different background for my for our kind of our perception of spider-man but it ends up creating a really interesting character with great family dynamics and uh, just kind of a unique origin story of his own that uh, that um clearly the filmmakers are are um they know the history of spider-man and they're respectful of the history of spider-man all the way back to the the cartoons i mean that's something i think lord and miller have been doing really well with uh like the lego properties that they've been uh working on i mean the batman one had, had kind of did the same thing the lego batman movie it was you know you had homages to all the different batman it was brilliant and they do that here where they are showing great respect to all of the stuff that came before them um while also allowing themselves to play with it a little bit and and you know breathe some new life into it and yeah not navel gazing meaning not getting so lost in the lore that even if you don't know those that spider-man existed before it's not like if you didn't get that toby Maguire dance joke it was it was so quick that like even if you didn't see that movie it still would work and you'd be like oh okay that's fine yeah it's still funny very nimble. Funny on its own. You know, it's funny. You were talking about all the people that Spider-Man could be. And I, I think we just have to shine a great big fancy spotlight on the middle aged fat guy with a gut and stubble that is <laughs> sort of relinquishing the role to to all of these wonderful new characters. And I, I think this Peter Parker is is one that <laughs> sadly I can relate to. Uh, and Jake Johnson's Peter Parker. Peter he B. was Parker. so good. This is yeah, just Nick so Nick great. Miller, right? With a and uh, uh, in in the outfit, and I really like Nick Miller. I can relate to Nick Miller. He's yep. he, and and so I really enjoyed um, Jake's portrayal of Peter Parker here, and I think it's it so fits this universe like it give that that he is sort of the elder statesman and it gives him kind of purpose but also the purpose to hand off the the reins to uh, to this next generation i think is is uh, deeply satisfying mm-hmm. is it really though handing it off though isn't he going back he's still going to be spider-man in his universe he, he is but look at what he's doing for for these other spider-men right, right? Sure. i mean it's like sure. this is this is a thing yeah he's going to do his thing but also he is he gets to be a mentor and he gets to watch them go be great and i love that spirit in the third act of this movie which yeah. is you know him saying yeah the kids got it like this is great we did good i love work. you i'm so proud of you do i want kids <laughs> that was so, well, and that, that works so fantastic. nicely with his character arc because then we do we he still gets a character arc which i loved because he goes back home yeah. we see him connect with mary jane again because of the whole thing with kids i mean it was it was 
beautiful the way that they incorporated that. I do think that the screenplay can be looked at at times. I'd have to watch it again, but as a masterclass of economy of story and also able to give arcs that seem significant, but are done so quickly and so little. I mean, Gwen Stacy refines friendship. I'm not going to go through all of them because I'll mess them all up. But I mean, um, <laughs> I guess uh, the ham, spider ham starts to eat meat. That's weird. Right. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool to see how many different things, the dad story, the everything. I mean, there was so much actual heart in it, but it didn't get like that, not to throw him under the bus, but like a Judd, Judd Apatow-ish kind of like really rolling in that kind of stuff. It was just very uh, economy, I think, is the word that I keep wanting to use. Well, yeah, I I love that, you know, there's it was really focused on character. And, and even with with Wilson Fisk, Kingpin, it's not I'm evil and I'm going to do something. It's he has experienced personal loss. And so it's the villain that you can to a certain extent sympathize with and say his his method is way off track but you can understand that he's experiencing loss and he's angry about it and he wants you know to take this out on somebody in some way and this is his only way of doing it you, normally you get the just i'm i'm the villain that's just a villain to be the villain for plot purposes but here he has a character-based reason for what he's doing, which I love seeing in stories because it just makes the arc of the hero, the conflict, so gives it so much more substance. Uh, when they're they're battling each other, you can understand they each have something at stake. It's not just, oh, well, the, the hero has to defeat the villain because that's the way the story goes. It's, well, if if Kingpin does win, there's, it's, I can see why why he wants it so bad, what he's fighting for. Uh, Doc Ock, on the other hand, yeah, she's the sidekick, and I don't get as much about her motivation. That's the one character I have a little issue with. She's just your typical sort of henchman, uh, and I wish there was a little bit more to her and why why she's involved in this. For me, that was, I, I didn't have a huge issue because, uh, you know, I know with a lot of Spider-Man films, they've had a lot of villains and that's been that's been a big problem that I've had with them especially because they try to each have their own story with Spider-Man and it really bogs it down what I liked about this one is that she was just a henchman and and she was just another villain to have in there um, just like uh, the Goblin I liked that they were all working for Fisk and they didn't necessarily need to have their own stories for me that that cleaned up the problem that I have with those multi-villain films Although, you know, I feel like there was something that was that was missing for me in the villainry. And that was uh, specifically around Miles and his family and his specifically his uncle and his dad, Jefferson and Aaron. You know, I really connected with that story and wanted I, I wanted more in that area in particular, not even in costume as the prowler. Like I, I wanted more Mahershala Ali, um, you know, to in, in this role as, as a mentor. I just, and, and I know uh, like, it's not that there was anything wrong with the film as presented. Maybe it's just me wanting, <laughs> wanting more redemption from green book. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I just felt like that was, that was a real special triangle, the Jefferson Aaron Miles triangle. And, um, and, and I think it was, um, it, it was something that, 
that I, I could I was hungry for. I was hungry for more yeah. of that. Um, what a great reveal. So. Did you guys see that coming? No. I that Aaron, that Uncle Aaron was going to be the prowler. I only knew that he had a secret because there's everyone in the movie was something. Uh, yeah. But I yeah. never. Yeah. When Miles is in the apartment and he, and he comes in, I'm like and he, he takes the call and I thought it's got to be the uncle. What? It, it's got to be because we were given the phone call of like, oh, I'm away on business for the next couple of weeks. I'm like, okay, s- smart writing. You don't introduce a character and then just write them off with a poor excuse. He's going to come back somewhere. He's tied into miles somewhere. So that I had a hint. I wasn't positive, but I was suspicious because I thought this is the only character. Whenever you have a masked character, I start wondering, there's got to be a reveal. It's got to be somebody we've seen before. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Well, luckily, I mean, they timed that well because the reveal is like oh, seconds did. after yes. that. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh, yes. No, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I made that. I saw the uh, film with a friend of the show, Darnell Smith. And yeah, I made the joke because he was saying he didn't see it coming. He knew it, he had a secret. Yeah. And I said, yeah, me too. Uh, but then I was like, but then once he uh, took off his mask and faced the camera and someone called him Uncle Aaron, I was like, yep, got it. It's Uncle Aaron. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Aaron is Prowler. Sorry, Sony. I'm a couple. Steps ahead. <laughs> um, so one of the uh, I'm actually reading with my son, we're reading Miles Morales, Spider-Man, which is essentially uh, it's kind of a novelization. Uh, it's a it's sort of a novelized sequel to the movie, uh, but it's written by Jason Reynolds and uh, Kadir Nelson. And um, Jason Reynolds is this unbelievable writer i mean he's just he's a a national book award winner i'm not sure if he's got a pulitzer but he is he's an incredible writer and he tells these incredible stories about um just the black experience and the black youth experience he's written a dozen books um and so this this book i can't recommend it highly enough if you're into this story and uh you're into (laughs) books i guess um it's a really good one and so i cheated a little bit because it's sort of a sequel um it picks up with the hole that is left after aaron's death and that um for the family for for, well for for miles and for jefferson in particular but mostly for miles because he's talking about you know i was there when you know when you died i saw that i didn't because we as the reader don't know how it happened they don't talk about it in the book but they absolutely go into Hmm. that emotional experience of the hole that's left when your family member dies and you can't tell why that you were there you can't tell that it was it was this incredibly complicated good versus evil but so much more story um and it was um it it was i I found it i'm finding it very satisfying um a satisfying read so for what it's worth well that's awesome and i think miles as a character is kind of a revelation here i i thought it was fantastic and shameek moore i mean I I want to see more so of this character. Yeah. I thought it was I loved great. His voice yeah. so much, and the animation. It was just such a great everything about it. it was so, uh, yeah, it was so uh, charming. And looking at the cast all together, I want to tell you when I went through uh, everybody that's listed as a part of this movie in IMDb. This is the one of the first times when I've had to go into the full casting crew to get down to all the names of the people who had an impact in this movie. This is a huge 
wonderful voice cast in this movie. And you may not always realize it, but there are very friendly, recognizable names that are voicing over these parts. Who are some of your guys' favorites? We already talked about Mahershala Ali and Shamik Moore. Who else uh, did a great job on, on voice for you? Cage, baby. I was the whole time so I was good. like, no. is that Nicolas Cage? Because that was my favorite character was Spider Noir. Oh. I'm such a sucker for that kind of uh, writing, that old timey kind of pitter patter gumshoe kind of stuff. I Wherever love so I go, much. The wind follows. Oh, it's so great. He had so much stuff without being too much like, let's beat feet. Like he wasn't too much into parody. They knew how to use it with, again, economy. I know one word. Um, but it was, I just, I loved all that so much. And he, that was my favorite part. The cool thing about it being such a cool cast it doesn't it never felt like it seems like in a lot of um uh animated films this is probably a cliched thing to say but they're casting big names just to draw in parents because it's kind of like a who cares like why is john cena the voice of an animated something <laughs> but all of these voices seem really smartly picked to really be the the perfect like distillation of the characters, which I really liked. This is an incredible Lily Tomlin vehicle. Lily Tomlin as Aunt May. Yeah. And she's gung ho. I saw an interview with her talking about how she's actually seen a comic where Aunt May gets bit by the spider and becomes Spider-Man. 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 She becomes. And she's like, I'm ready. Let's make it. I, I think that's, that's awesome. I really love John Mulaney uh, as uh, I thought he was as Spider-Ham. I thought that was genius casting and um, he just has the perfect voice to it for it. And he he tells this wonderful story and during the late night circuit and watching some interviews before we came on. And he tells a story about how um, like he didn't know anything about what they were going for for the movie. They just said, have some fun with it and go in and, and do your lines. And uh, and so he did. And, and so these lines, they they played some of him that they captured uh so you go into this thing blind and you they give you a script or do you get to improvise a little bit or oh so yes it it is it is wonderfully scripted but they they did a thing that is very generous when they say to uh, uh comedy people they say have fun with it uh and you know add your own words um and so for the very first session i'm still in fight or flight because i think it's a kidnapping uh yeah I, I did go my own way with it, and uh, I threw in my own lines, and what happened was I was uh, just uh, cursing wildly. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> this is you. I, thank you for you. Save this exclusively for us. These are outtakes. These are not in the film. Yes, um, they sent along the John audio. Mulaney doing the voice of <laughs> Spider-Ham. This is real. I yeah. did this. Damn right. Oh, you bastards. And how the f*** is he going to do that? And how the f*** exactly is he going to do that? Two days. <laughs> I've been Spider-Ham 30 years. <laughs> they can't use any of that. Uh, I, I thought it was great. Y you know, and each voice I, I thought was so well... Um, encapsulated by the animation right that was so different and when you look at that shot as they are um they're the sort of down camera below gonky the roommate uh and they're looking up yeah. at all of the spider people on the ceiling and each one of you freeze that and look at it because every bit of animation for each character is so unique and so special but and so different from the character right next to it touching mm. it that is mm. some incredible artistry the way they did that and uh, uh and and to keep that and be so uh, committed to it 
for the entire duration of the film was just deeply special. I've only seen that. I've really only really noticed that in an animated movie once before, and that was in uh, Atlantis, the Disney. Oh yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. Where they had different animators on each of the characters, and it really looked like they were each a different style. But it was not for. It wasn't for a specific purpose to the story in Atlantis, whereas in this, they're from different dimensions. How perfect and how clean did they do it through everything? You know, you talk about one of my my kids' favorite parts of the entire movie is when Spider-Ham comes up and says, you got a problem with cartoons? And he starts <laughs> beating him over the head with, you know, yeah. an Acme oh. sledgehammer and then drops an anvil on, on Scorpion. <laughs> like the, that kind of idea it was done with such care and specificity to the to the story that it was really great i've never seen any animation like this before this feels like something completely revolutionary and different to me now i might just be unfamiliar with that kind of stuff have you guys seen anything like this where you have these shifting backgrounds and then the the sort of the the again going back to that homage of comic book that they were doing in frames and then we talked about the dots and we talked about all this i've never seen anything like this this feels completely new to me there are i mean it's been a great decade for playing around with animation and a lot of really interesting styles i mean you look what the I, i'm gonna not i can't remember the name of the company but the irish company that's doing films like song of the sea um they are doing some, uh, and I can't remember the other films that they've done. They've done a, a, a number of them. That it's such an interesting style that they are doing. You look at some of the the films coming out of Japan, like uh, the Princess Kaguya, and the way that it looks like it's done in watercolor. There are some really fun styles that people are playing with right now in animation. Not necessarily like this, but it, it does seem where. You know, the doors have really been opened to, you know, explore what we can really do with animation. Um, and it's it's exciting. I mean, even something like Chico and Rita, which is a, 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 I think, Puerto Rican or Cuban film that came out a few years ago about kind of, uh, you know, jazz. I mean, it's 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 great that people are exploring and playing around with that. And um, I, and this just fits right in with that. It, it's a, like Steve said earlier, this is a format that allows for this play to exist, but um, it's not always present. But when it is and when they use it effectively, it's it's just it's a thrill. Well, they're embracing the visual medium because, you you know, early movies were a lot of you know, they were set up like watching a stage play. You know, the camera was locked down and the you know action would happen and then you know as cameras became mobile things changed and you know comic books how do you communicate information visually we, we've talked about this i think with some black panther you know at marvel where there will be certain certain shots that are set up like yes that's a panel that's the cover of a comic book and this is just taken that you know times a hundred comic books you know have figured out how to communicate and coming back to tommy's word you know, economy, how to get information across visually very quickly. And if it does it so well there on the printed page, why not find a way to bring that to life on the screen? Because there were so many things that were done where I thought, yes, that, you know, with, with, we've got multiple, you know, sp like split screen stuff going on. Everybody knows or, or most comic book readers are going to know how this works, where we've got, you know, the the multiple panels of the shot where we're getting closer, closer, closer on a character. It's it's like the it's a comic book version of a, a, a push in. But let's keep it set up like that because it has a certain feel to it and it lives in this world. There were just so many things that uh, 
it's those, uh, I guess, I don't want to say cliches, but it's those. Uh, it's tropes, tropes but beloved, yes. beloved tropes and really honoring those. And then also breaking them of like sometimes they'd go one, two, three, one, and then two and three would be separated, but actually be the same. Yes. And then exactly. the yeah. tire would speed. I mean, it's it's a it's a real movie to want to see again. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I'm which is such a great compliment again. for it. Like really yes. want to see it again just to let. Yeah. Well, and the other reason to see it again is because there's with animation, there's so much detail as you know, if we're taking the time to animate each of these characters differently. Then you've got everything going on in the background. I, I noticed uh, in Peter's, you know, uh, dorm room or whatever, there's a you know, Chance the Rapper. And in our world, he's got oh, his yeah, baseball hat with number three that. and he's yeah. got a number four up there. I'm like, OK, there's just little things I saw in Times Square. There was a ad for some Seth Rogen movie. And I'm like, what was that? Hold, hold the horses. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just you know, yeah. fun hold little things Seth Rogen. Yeah. like that that I know that. It's going to be this freeze frame, you know, fest of just like, what is going on? What is embedded in here? What are they hiding in there? What are these Easter eggs? But also just to experience the visuals, uh, you know, on the way back, I asked my daughter what was her favorite part. And she said the, the whole, uh, what was it? A kid in a Halloween costume dragging a homeless corpse with him. <laughs> yeah. whole, oh, right. <laughs> unconscious Peter dragged behind the, the train thing. Which is just insane. It was so much fun. Uh, she said, yeah, that, yeah, she's like, that's my favorite part. That just, she's like, I haven't seen anything like that. And it's, it's just so much fun because you get, again, we're not in the real world when you can have Miles riding on Peter's body and his face, Peter's face is dragging against the concrete. It's like, oh, oops, sorry. It's, we're not in the real world where it's like, oh, geez, he's going to have, you know, bad road rash, you know, so many. Animated <laughs> movies try to play all broken. Yes. I mean, he gets beat yeah. up, but again, we're in cartoon land where, you know, he's Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man always yes, gets beat exactly. up. People get beat up, but we don't have gore. We don't have realistic gore. People can get, you know, shot and we don't have to have blood all over the place because we're, we're in a, well, as it told us right at the beginning, this is approved by what the comics code authority right, yeah. right yeah. there at the beginning. What wonderfully yes. great little joke there. there. Yeah. You mentioned uh chance, the rapper, uh, I wanted to bring up the music in this movie. The, so good. The credit on it yeah. was Daniel Pemberton. This, in terms of soundtrack and in the score, is one of the best that I've heard in a long while. Both all the all the music cues were perfect, and they did a bunch of mashup of classic rap, um, New York based. I mean, it was it was geographically purposed. It was all of that, and then you've got the score where. All of the soundtrack, whenever we're dealing with the Prowler, like the Prowler's theme is just, it's creepy and it's wonderful and it drives energy to the, I mean, everything about the music in this movie was was spot on. And the soundtrack right now is available and it only has the current music cues, or music cues that are on it. But I, there's got to be an extended soundtrack that'll mix that with some of the classic stuff and some of the score stuff. All the music was so perfect for me in this movie that I it just drove me to enjoyment at every turn on this one. It sounds like the music that Miles would be listening to. Totally. It fit perfectly in the world. And 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 Pemberton, we've I mean, we've talked about him a number of times on the show. Um uh, he did Ocean's 8, he did uh, Molly's Game, he did uh The Man from Uncle. Uh you know, he's a he's a composer that's been uh, doing some really interesting stuff. And I I I think that he 
perfectly found the tone for everything going on here and and brought the music to life in in just a brilliant way uh with not just him but i mean you know the music he did plus all the songs that they brought in everything just fit so perfectly for this world Oh, he did the music for uh, Black Mirror's USS Callister. Right, yes. So he's also really, oh, really? good at like being that. able to synthesize a certain type, right. like take on, yeah, take on a certain type and then really make it about that. That's cool. Yeah. Someone was talking about Easter eggs. Uh, we bandied about a little bit the the 42 number, and I also heard a, a little uh, anecdotal reference saying that Stan Lee is in lots of places in the movie. Steve, you mentioned that there's a bunch of free freeze frames. He's walking a dog at some point. He's, he's in lots of different places, so they put him all over this movie, which is great. Someone in our pre-show talk mentioned that there was a joke about the original Spider-Man 3, and I missed it. So which... Andy, was that you? Did you hear that joke? What was the joke about? It was about? the dancing. Yeah. It was the terribleness he's dancing, of, you know, at the, at the very oh, beginning. The he's just like, yeah, yeah. we don't need to talk about yeah. that or whatever he says, you know. Yes. Yeah. Right. I thought it would be something about the too many villains. Spider-Man 3 yeah, it was a, tried to create an origin story for three of the biggest uh, villains in Spider-Man history. Well, yeah, when Peter Parker introduces himself and we get so many sort of uh, memorable moments from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man right. movies, uh, I thought, okay. Right. That really, I'm like, which which Spider Man universe are we in? Because that it was really interesting to see, you know, the okay, the upside down kiss, the Spider Man three, you know, dancing down the street. I thought, okay, the the car stopping the, the train, throws. yeah, stopping the train, all those. So I was that's like, how Tobey Maguire ended up, right? Is that a way I, to think about yes, it? Yes. So yes. there were there were little. He yeah. ended up being Jake Johnson. He Granted, there Chris were Pine. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Oh, Chris Pine. Oh, right. Chris Pine yeah, the was the original. Yes, the Peter Parker. Yeah. This is when my head starts to hurt a little bit. But yeah. Just, you know, it's, <laughs> he's, he's singing the Spider-Man Christmas songs. Right, we, right, right. That was him. I'm sorry. I got confused. He's the one who dies. That, you know, we can't, I, we haven't really talked about that, but that was a serious moment in this movie when Kingpin just up and crushes oh, him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like we, you know, we talk about the, you know, comic code and whatever, but a Spider-Man died. Like the Spider-Man that was known in that universe, a Peter Parker is dead. And yeah, it's great to celebrate all this new stuff. But this movie, I mean, that, yeah, we have this older Peter B. Parker, but uh, it, this this movie changes changes things. And I, I think that's a, you know, not to be left out of the conversation. Well, and that's why, I mean, really, I want to touch on that sort of through line piece that you were talking about earlier, Pete, in that what they did here by giving us the death of, of Golden Boy, Chris Pine, Peter Parker, and then bringing in the uh, middle-aged uh, hanging up the boots, Peter Parker, was really they gave us a very graceful way to say, here's what we're going to do next. We're going to show you all the creative innovation that can come from Spider-Man. And we're going to take you into this multiverse way of looking at all of the creativity that can come out of the comic book universe. This is not what I expected when I walked into this movie. I expected to see a convoluted story that was going to mess me up and that I was going to be disappointed that they're still trying to squeeze one more dime out of Marvel properties. That's not what happened here. That was This was really an homage and a new way of saying, let's go to the next chapter. And I really loved it. Did he never, did that never happen in the comic books? They did kill him and in, in the uh, comics. Ultimate Spider-Man yeah. well, they did. in the comics and Green Goblin did. And it's, it's great that, you know, it was, it was Bendis, uh, was it Brian Michael Bendis who, yep. um, who was in, you know, on this movie and wrote that 
particular episode or that particular issue. And, um, you know, it's a, it, it's a, a wonderful kind of, I don't know, you could say it's an homage. It, I mean, it is, but it's, it's the same, it, you know, it's, it is a, really filming a, a powerful moment, uh, that's kind of been in the lore for, for some time. And I think they did it with, uh, you know, with kind of rip the bandaid off with sort of violence and grace. And I think it was great. And we get caught up in the, in the hoo-ha of all the handoffs and, uh, it's a big deal. I love your phrase of violence and grace because it was handled. I mean, none of the hits, you don't see the actual hit. Right. You see it. It's always sort of covered by a rock or covered from just looking at kingpins. It's back, both of those. Kingpin's massive back. Yeah. In ridiculous back. Right. Yeah, it's done. I mean, this movie does have an enormous amount of heart and a lot of some really dark periods, uh, but handled. I don't know. It's just that word. What's a word for like handling it nicely and quickly? Oh, economy. That'll work. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, no, but I mean, it. Uh, this movie didn't shy away from some dark stuff and some scary stuff. I mean, people, as you're saying, Pete, they really do die in this movie. And that's not to be expected. And it's handled, I think, with violence and grace. I love your phrase for it. Well, I'm really excited to see where this ends up on our chart. Do you guys think we should rank it? It's flick chart time. Where is it going to place flick chart time? Nobody knows how we'll rank flick chart. Worth it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, guys. First up, we have Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse or everybody's favorite, the mummy. Oh. <laughs> Spider-Man time. Into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man. Spider-Man for sure. Spider-Man. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse or Beirut. Spider-Man. But I did like Beirut, but Spider-Man. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse uh, or Solo, a Star Wars story. Abstain. Spider-Man. 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 Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse or Gravity. Oh, Ooh. good question. Gravity hasn't sat well with people, but I think I still have to say Gravity. Mm. In this one. I'm going to say gravity. I'm going to say Spider-Man. Spider-Man. There we go. Andy, it's you. Uh, God, dang it, guys. Oh, come on. This is so much fun. This is painful because I... I this is what we live for. Was, weirdly, this was the matchup that I was like concerned about. I, I was like, I hope <laughs> yeah. this doesn't come up. And here it All is. week Fick he's been talking about it. <laughs> um, hasn't slept a week. I'm going to go okay, with Spider-Man, and- though. I'm going with Spider-Man. Okay. Yes. There you go. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah just because you hate Rochambeau. <laughs> we can't. No, we can't do that. We got five. We're good. Okay. Related, Andy, you need new problems. I do. I know. These are my dilemmas <laughs> in life. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or Star Wars The Last Jedi. Oh. Uh, Spider-Man with a bullet for me. <sighs> Wait, which is I'm the like, last Jedi? Is that where the one ship went yes, through the other ship? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Spider-Man. I love how you say the best moment in that movie and then so cavalierly. <laughs> oh, yeah. That <laughs> awesome, incredible moment that changed the nature of cinema. it Princess Leia. It shouldn't have been some other character. That goes through that spaceship? Yes. What a great ending that would have been for her. Which movie are we oh, talking yeah. about? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> right. That's the right one. <laughs> I am Spider-Man. Weird. You are? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm weird about it, too. I wasn't going to do it. We but, all um, are. Anyone can wear the mask. <laughs> uh, Steve, where, where are we now? We're at uh, three for Spider-Man. I want to say I, I love The Last Jedi and everything it did, but when it comes down to Tommy's word of economy, I think this just nonstop from 
you know, beginning to end, pacing everything, I don't have anything where I can go, well, there's this one part. This is just a thrill from beginning to end. Oh. Yeah, I want to say Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner. I think I've learned that the way that I might enjoy Blade Runner more, because I did like it, is it's a two seat, it's a two night movie. Okay. Do you ever have movies like that, that it's better if you split it up, like The Fall, the movie The Fall? I should stop talking. We're trying to come to a close. Wolf of Wall Street. I had to like turn it off when he started like hitting on her mom. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I will say Spider-Man, but I might feel bad about that later. I'm going to say Spider-Man. What are we ranking it against? Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> 2049. God, I blacked out the first time you said that. Yeah, Spider-Man or Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> no, no, it's two and two. It's down to Pete. Damn. Ooh, Pete! This is uh, very troubling. This is your gravity. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Spider-Man. And your economy. Whoa. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is now number one on our flick chart. What? Look at number that. Number one. Look at that. You're kidding me. I'm not angry about that, but that's how flick chart works. That's how works. <laughs> Something yes. can just show up at number one. I guess yes. I do not understand algorithms. That's crazy. <laughs> but what about Monuments Men? <laughs> you guys, <laughs> Monuments Men. All right. I mean, oh, don't wow. you know a subway so, can't undress a Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. So if, if, if you're listening and you were excited by everything that we just went through with that, because Spider-Man just ended up at number one, you can check out the Holy entire film board filmography ranked at flickchart.com slash TNR film board. When you get there, you can create your own tournament style stack ranking of your own. And if you disagree with us or if you agree with us, you can see how your big screen favorites run alongside ours. Now we also rank it. And I guess it's okay for us to be number one for me. It's not number one on my personal flick chart, but I'm okay with that because it's a five-star movie for me and it's a like. My name is Tommy, and I'll say four stars and a like. Four and a half stars and a like. We can do halves? Now you tell me. <laughs> All right. Four and three-eighths stars and a like. Yeah, math. All right, I'll give it five stars. I'll follow oh, JJ. Oh, my goodness. Well, you ranked it over Blade Runner, so it was obviously... It's you... definitely a five star. Although, weirdly, I couldn't rank it any higher and ended up at 34 out of my list uh, on my own flick what? chart. And I, yeah, I, which feels terrible, but it just, it hit some things that... Oh, because of 2001? To... Yeah, 2001 <laughs> was, the, was the real stalemate. <laughs> flick chart. I deleted, I deleted my flick chart account when it hit that. <laughs> Reset. <laughs> well, I am also giving it five stars and a like. So that puts it wow. at an overall 4.7. So it's, uh, it's way up there. It is a way up there. When was, Again. When was the last time we've all been on one side of a film? Has it happened a lot? Child, child 44? <laughs> other side. We were on the other side of the tracks for that one. But yeah, exactly. Cool. So uh, that's pretty interesting. This is definitely unexpected for it to be that high, but I, I support it. And, and where do we go from here? Next month, it's going to be a brand new year, brand new movie. We talked about doing glass. We're not going to have all five of us like we enjoy in December, which was pretty special. But we're going to do glass third week in January. They say it's both the sequel to Unbreakable and the sequel to Split. It's a dual sequel. So it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, how about on the main show, uh, the next reel on that? What are you, where are you guys right now? 
Actually, we're just wrapping up our movies and their remakes uh, series. We've done the Thomas Crown Affair, and then you're catching us right in between the producers, 1967 and 2005. So we're doing uh, doing th- this this week. Uh, you're going to hear the producers, the musical with uh, Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. Well, that's awesome. Check out the weekly show, and then next month, come back and check us out for Glass. We did make a short mention of it earlier, but everyone listening should come join us over on Discord. We gather with our community about a half an hour before every film board show to chat a bit about what we get out of our monthly movie. Go to thenextreel.com for details on how you can connect with us in the virtual green room. The craft service is fictional and fantastic. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us all year long. Happy holidays, Andy Nelson. Woohoo! End of the year. <laughs> Sweet dreams, Tommy Handsome. And remember, please join our Patreon because with great podcasting comes great insolvency. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Pete Wright. Good night, everybody. And one more word from Steve Sarmento Spider Hondo. <laughs> Very nice. At the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next. can wear the mask oh the music stopped (laughs) here on the film board we have covered quite a variety of great page to screen adaptations over the years from superheroes like christopher nolan's the dark knight rises based on stories like nightfall and the dark knight returns to horror and sci-fi like max brooks's world war z and hiroshi sakazuraka's all you need is kill which became one of our favorites edge of tomorrow Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 